Welcome to Black Men Speak, a podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Keith Dent. In the Dreamer World, a 2025 vision for black men and boys, written in 2010 for the, from the 21st Century Foundation, it stated that only 47% of black males who began high school graduated four years later. I'm not sure how much that has changed, but no matter how grim the statistics, it limits the ability to dream about a better life, a better future, and that must be protected. This was brought home in one of my favorite movies, The Pursuit of Happiness, when Will Smith is talking to his son about protecting his dreams. Hey, Dad, I'm going pro! Oh. <laughs> I'm going pro! Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. You know, uh, you'll probably be about as good as I was. That's kind of the way it works, you know, and I, I, I was below average. You know, so, whoa. So you'll probably ultimately rank somewhere around there, you know, so I really, you'll excel at a lot of things, just not this. I don't want you out here shooting this ball around all day and night, all right? All right. Okay. All right, go ahead. Hey. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Not even me. All right? All right. You got a dream, you got to protect it. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you you can't do it. You want something, go get it. Period. What was, you know, but today's guest actually kind of embodied what uh, Will Smith talked about in that movie. Having dreams and protecting them no matter when and don't let anybody take them from you. And my guest today, um, who I've actually known a very long time through our Allstate days, so that <laughs> we're talking about when I was in my 20s, and, um, and his name is Roy Schuler, and he's a gifted and talented and a charismatic communicator, uh, long enchanted with public speaking, storytelling, and the power of words. Oddly enough, uh, everyone began his acting career in 2007 at the age of 42, with a, and it all started with a nondescript role in a regional commercial, and we'll go over that. But while working in corporate America, it was his faith and determination that opened the doors uh, to additional commercials, voiceover, and community theater, TV, and print model opportunities. And so, you know, and I've known this for a very long time, but it really resonated when I think last year, you know, when I saw him, you know, just watching Saturday Night Live, and uh, I think it was a, uh, it was the address about I think President Biden, I think, and you know, and I was like, wait, I know that brother, that's Roy Schuler. And it it really was did me proud to just see someone that was was going after it and still going after it no matter when. So and that's really what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to bring him up and we're just going to chat. Uh, hey Roy, what's up, man? Hey, what's happening, man? How you doing, Keith? Good to see you. Great, great. H have you seen that movie, Pursuit of Happiness? I did. I did. I remember seeing it in the theater, and I may have seen it with my younger daughters Sydney and Jordan when they were kids. I think. Okay. I think, but I do remember seeing that. Yeah. It was a I don't know. Movie. Did, did you tear up? Because I know I did. Um, at, at some point, I, I could have. I really don't remember. <laughs> and I think the movie came out 
in 2007, so it was a little while ago. But there, probably, okay. there may have been some moments, man, where I was where I was particularly moved when uh, I think he and his son were sleeping, maybe in a bathroom. Or oh yes, like, yes, like yeah, yes. So. That is, oh uh, yeah, well, that was a that was a crazy moment. Yeah, because he yeah. was uh, homeless and he didn't know have anywhere to. I think he'd gotten kicked out. He didn't have anywhere to stay. Right, and uh, right. he stayed in the bathroom when somebody was trying to get in. Yeah, that was pretty. Right. That was pretty yeah. crazy uh, scene there. But um, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, th thank you for being on the show. Thanks um, for the invitation, so, man. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So you, you in your you know in your bio you said you had a kind of a feeling for this very early on in life. So um, even though you 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 really started to follow this you know much later. So. Right. What, what what really fed your passion into the you know kind of spoken word earlier in life? Um, part of it it's it's funny you should ask because when I was eleven years old in nineteen seventy six, Stevie Wonder released his magnum magnum or magnus opus, Sounds in the Key of Life, nineteen seventy six, and that was an event when that album came out. And I've always been uh, enchanted by by music. But that was one of the first albums that had the lyrics to all the songs. Okay. And yeah. I was walking down Linux Avenue today and I was listening to uh, Spotify and the song As came on. Oh, right. It, it, it took me back to, and I was not far from where I grew up here in Harlem, right? So it took me back to a point where we had that album. And at, at one point, Keith, I knew the lyrics to all those doggone songs because of that lyric book. Yes, so, I used to. I used to love reading it too. Yeah, man. So you know, as and Sir Duke, I wish pastime paradise, knocks me off my feet. All those songs that had all those lyrics um, really introduced me to the power of words and telling stories. You know, uh, stories in, in the form of songs. So that was one thing that happened when I was in the sixth grade. Um, I had a teacher. She was fine too, Miss Holly. <laughs> okay. Right, and we had to do uh, a commercial in class, and we I made it. I did it. There was a there was a wine called um, Wild Irish Rose, and I changed it to to Roy's Irish Rose, and I had my friend Lorenzo come up and do a testimonial, like he was playing uh, Walt Frazier, who was my favorite basketball player. So the reason I share that quickly is because, upon reflection, there were some benchmark moments along the way that fed me eventually becoming an actor, but I didn't recognize them at that time. Mm -hmm pointing me in that direction. But it really started with a love of songs and, and Songs in the Key of Life is, uh, I'll always have a special feeling for that album because of, again, it, it really introduced me to the power of, of words and storytelling. And that's what actors do. You know, we tell stories using, using words and emotions. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, anyone that really loves music, mm -hmm. at least in, maybe in our, in our generation. Yeah not only love the beats and everything, but the words and the stories that were told. Yeah. Can we yeah. Call? I mean, that's one of my favorite albums as well. Uh, you know, and, and so I could see how that would resonate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you, um, you know, you said you grew up in Harlem uh -huh. and you went to, you know, you went to, you went to school locally. We have a kind of a rivalry. I went to Georgetown, you went to St. John's. Um, right. Right. And so, so what, what was it like, or what kind of student were you at St. John's? I mean, I was I was a good student up until senior year. <laughs> <laughs> this this senioritis thing hit me, man. Um, okay, I, I don't know what happened, but I, I was always pretty diligent with the books. You know, it was not a concern of mine, a concern of, of my parents and me to perform academically. So I was I was a pretty decent I was a pretty decent um, student at St. John's. Um, it was a good experience, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah likewise. And I do remember, I do remember in 85 when we went to the Final Four in Georgetown, you know, beat us. Yes. Um, <laughs> in the Final Four. And I think you guys lost to Villanova that year. Ed Pinkie, we right? did, we did. Yeah. And that kind of sealed the deal for me because I did, you know, when you talk about dreams, right? You know, so my dream was to... Um, I said, I'm going to go to the school that wins the tournament. <laughs> you, oh, know, wow. you know, okay. you know, wasn't about, you know, me. It was like, whoever wins, that's where I'm going. And, but Villanova mm-hmm. had won that year. And I was like, no, nah, I just, I can't do it. Right. I can't do it. Um, gotcha. You know, not knowing about the the scandal, but it was like, no, I'm going to go ahead and go to Georgetown. And right. was glad I did. Um, so then you end up at Allstate. Was that, was that your first job out of school at Allstate? I had a job for... Maybe a couple of months, I was selling copiers and fashion machines in midtown Manhattan for a small company, and that didn't pan out. And then I ended up, uh, I think that, that that job ended around November of 87, and I ended up starting with Allstate about a month later. So I started in claims, and then you and I met when I got promoted to underwriting toward the end of uh, end of 1990. Okay. Yeah. Wow, 1990. Oh yeah. 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 Because I want to talk about, not not a lot, but what, what yeah. was your... Um, what do you feel your experience was with at Allstate? Um, it was my first real, real job, um, real corporate job. Overall, it was it was good. I mean, I learned a lot. There's some there's some habits that I still carry with me today from my time in claims. And as an underwriter, you know what we did was assess risk. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we gather information, we evaluate it, and we we look at different options that we have available. And then we implement, we make a decision. So those basic skills as an underwriter, I still use today, you know, just in life or just in uh, evaluating options and making decisions. So overall, it was a it was a good experience. Um, it took me up to Rockland County. Um, I've got some lifelong friends and you and Miss Gibbs and, and, and Danny Schindler and still in contact with Nancy Maroney and folks yeah, like that. Yeah. So over, overall, it was a good experience. That's all, you know, and I, I, one thing I thought about was, um, Patrick Sando too. I'm sorry. Patrick. Oh Sando. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that we, if you, if you notice, you know, cause there, it was diverse that we had a diverse office underwriting, yeah. but mm-hmm. we were also located in the, the concentrated areas where African-Americans live. So we, you know, group of us with Anne, we were in the, we were in Brooklyn and then you and right. Cynthia, you know, rest, God rest her soul was yes. in the Bronx. So yeah. I, did you, I mean, you, when you look back on it, that, that was quite interesting that we were in, in those areas assessing risk as yeah, opposed to was. Westchester or Rockland, you know? Yeah, it was. And eventually um, I started underwriting agents in New York, in Manhattan as well. Um, you know, Thurman and those guys, I uh, forget his name. He was on 72nd street, but yeah, started in, started in the Bronx and then moved to, to other boroughs. So yeah, that that is interesting upon reflection. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so in two thousand seven, you decide to follow your dreams. What what ultimately gave you the courage to to do to do that? Actually, you know what? Very quickly, there was something that happened at Allstate, and then there was something that happened at the company that I worked that I went to after Allstate that really pushed me. Um, I remember when they announced that the region was closing. We were in Pearl River. Okay. And they were going from twenty seven regions to seventeen, whatever. And I remember the then AVP making the decision or making the announcement and our people were understandably distraught and there was crying in the room and everything. But the thing that the thing that disturbed me was that there were so many people wondering 
what's going to happen with me? Mm. I didn't feel comfortable being in that position. I didn't feel comfortable surrendering my fate to other people and having that mindset of I have to worry about what someone else is going to do to provide an opportunity for me. So that was one thing. The mm-hmm. second thing was the company that I went to after Allstate, I was there for five and a half years. I'd done great work or done good work, five consecutive years, promotions, company car, home office, and the whole nine. And they came at me really foul, mm. um, really foul. And it got to a point where, just to push this forward, I was able to negotiate a pretty decent severance package. And I'm on the phone with an HR person. Okay. And what I'm about to share, if she was on this phone, she would be embarrassed if she would, if she admitted what she said to me. I was returning my company car and I said, well, you know, I'm 50 miles from the home. What's the plan to get me back home? She said, we'll have to see if anybody's going that way. Mm. I'm 50 miles from home. Wow. My wife at the time, now ex-wife, was pregnant with our son. You know, daughter Sydney was two. And this came from the mouth of one in the HR. It pissed me off. Wow. And I hope that's not, you know, I hope that language isn't, um, you know, too much for this podcast. If so, I'll, I'll clean it no, up. No, no. I mean, hey, it's <laughs> not but at all. Very quickly, man, during that summer, Keith, I sat down and I'm a big Honeymooners fan. There was an episode of the Honeymooners where somebody came to Ralph's apartment who was this big business success. And Ralph said, well, wait a minute, you know, you own this, you own that. How did you go from this dump where Alice and I live to becoming this, uh, this, this, this successful business person? And the guy said, well, I sat down and I took stock of myself. So during that summer of 2001, June, July, I sat down and took stock of myself. And I said, okay, what can I do to hire myself? Mm. What things has God gifted me to do that I can do that don't feel like work that I can get paid to do? I was always passionate about public speaking. I was always passionate about storytelling and the power of words. And I always wanted to find out from the time that I was a kid how I can get into voiceovers. So I'm living in Rockland County at the time. I called up a talent agent, explained what I wanted to do. And they said, well, if you want to get into voiceovers, you should take acting lessons. Why don't you come and audit our class? I go to class one night. They gave me a script or some copy and charged me with the responsibility of acting this out. I was hooked. Oh, wow. Just, just like that? That was the summer of 2000. When I said, I got to find a way to do this. Four years later, went through a very challenging um, divorce, turned 40. But this thing was still in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. I decided to pursue it. Got some pictures taken. Met with an agent in Reading, Pennsylvania, the late Randy Donatelli. And he said, again, to push this forward, he said, look, um, I think I can get some work for you you know, as a, as a model or in commercials. And he said, um, I need African-Americans. Then he looked me dead in my face, Keith. <laughs> but I need dependable African-Americans. Wow. Randy, okay. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> Randy has a sour experience. But he said to me, and he, he since passed away, as I get to the close of this, he said, look, mm-hmm. never give up. Things change on a dime in this business. Stay in contact with me. I was working for Dun & Bradstreet at the time. I eventually started working for Dun & Bradstreet. And um, one Wednesday, two years later, he called me up. I think I have a spot for the commercial. What are you doing? Friday. Nothing. <laughs> so it was a, I was living in, um, I was still living in Pennsylvania. I was in Bethlehem at the time. And it was a regional commercial for a health facility called Coordinated Health. And I was just playing 
a patient undergoing therapy. So I was with my church choir at the time and I was so excited when I got the file and I shared it with him. I said, look, don't blink because <laughs> you'll, you'll miss me. You know, that's me on the 14th at the 14 second mark laying on the table, getting stretched out. That's me at the 21 second mark running on the treadmill with my back to the camera. And that was my first commercial. And that gave birth to everything else that followed. That one commercial, that regional spot um, gave me the mm -hmm. confidence that I could compete, that I could get more work like this. I could build relationships, eventually seek some training. And I just set my sights on, on larger, larger opportunities from that point on. And that was, that was September 21st, 2007, when I filmed that commercial. So we just celebrated the 15 year anniversary. Wow, the fact that you remember, you remember it to this detail, I mean, it really must have had a tremendous impact, not just on your life and your trajectory, but also on your um, kind of your self-esteem because it was based on like, look, I well, one, I'm good at it and I enjoy doing it. Right. And we, I mean, a lot of our young boys and girls don't have, don't get those moments. Mm -hmm. where they, you know, they have negative things that impact them. You know, we talk uh, all the trauma, but to have right. one of those moments where you can look back on, especially in Remember the Date, where yeah. it completely changed the trajectory of your life or just where you wanted to go, that's pretty impactful. Well, thank you, man. Um, it, it, was, it was all faith, man. And it was, it was based in the belief that there were bigger opportunities available. Um, bigger opportunities ahead, and that I could, that I had the freedom to pursue them. I was still working in corporate, mm -hmm. but um, I had to feed this other thing. Um, yeah. So those two things uh, existed. You know, there was a parallel existence for for a while of working a regular job and also seeking out these other opportunities, man. Mm -hmm. And so when when did you realize that you wanted to completely pursue it? on a full-time basis and what helped you to propel, propel yourself to do that? I had a growing disdain for corporate life and I, I just could not see continuing on that wheel. Um, the last long-term corporate job that I had was with a company called Olympus. I was there for a couple of years and um, I, I, by that time, I had some theater credits under my belt. I had fallen into theater back in 2012 only because there was a dearth of commercial opportunities. And I happened to hear an ad on the radio that Touchstone Theater in Bethlehem was having auditions for this large production they were doing. And look, I just had to act. I didn't care what it was. It was theater, whatever it was. So I went to the audition, um, blessed to get cast as one of the principals, and I learned so much during that process. So by this time, by the time I had gotten to Olympus, I was I had a few theater credits under my belt as well. But I just had this growing disdain with um, corporate life. Um, mm. Corporate life for a black male, um, corporate life for a, dare I say, uh, dare I say educated, intelligent black man with, with a hint of an ego. Um, <laughs> I, I just, you know, mm. It just became difficult, man. I mean, I was with right. Olympus and um, somebody was giving me a compliment. A coworker was giving me a compliment on how well I could write. 
And my manager mm. at the time said, yeah, who taught you how to write so well? Wow. I'm like, I'm 48. I was 47 or 48 at the time. And I don't think if I was someone other than a black male, that question would have been posed to me, man. Wow, right. So after I calmed down, I walked over to a cubicle and I said, do you know who taught me how to write so well? I said, I said, Sam Cooke and Smokey Robinson, uh, Sting, because I get a lot of inspiration from songwriters, as I mentioned before, Stevie Wonder. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the fact that she had the temerity, if you will, to even ask. And, and I've thought about this many times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. This has happened. You know, I've shared this story with a few other people, and I don't, I can't figure out any way for that to be received as a compliment. If, if it was, it was very underhanded, very mm. sort of, you know, um, passive aggressive, whatever, whatever negative term you want to assign to it. And I'm sure when you, even when you felt you had to explain yourself, yeah. she looked at you like, yeah, who does this Negro think he is? Like, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was a real awakening moment for me. Uh, and then you know the person we used to report to would have these microaggressions towards me. He would say to me, you know, Roy's trying to outdress everybody in the office. He's trying to be the dress bad, best dress. You know, he claims he can write so well. Let's give this to him to write. I'm like, yo, mm. where, where's this coming from? Mm. Where's this uneasiness? Where's this insecurity coming from? Wow. Um, so things like that, man. I'm like, yo. Um, so when that job came to an end, um, I jumped into doing a lot of background work here in New York. Now I was traveling from Pennsylvania to New York to do background work. Mm -hmm. okay. So background actors are also called extras, right? The people you right. see behind the scenes that don't have lines, right? So, um, it, it's just something, man, Stephen Covey said, uh, the late Stephen Covey said, it's easier to say, no, if there's a deeper yes burning in the on the inside. So I just felt, man, that this opportunity to tell stories, this opportunity to explore the power of words in this forum was something that I was called and meant to do. Mm -hmm. And I could not and would not extinguish it. Right. right. So those instances, man, what happened at Allstate, what happened at Atlantic Mutual, who ended up going down the tubes. Um, that was a company where the HR manager said, we'll see who's going right. that way. Right. What happened at Olympus, what happened with my divorce, all those things just provided log for the fuel to just really pursue who I believed I was and who I was coming to be at my essence. Right, right. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I use words to tell stories. So all those things drove me, man. That's awesome. And so you mentioned... Uh, you know, background work. And, right. um, and so I wanted to kind of delve in a little bit mm -hmm. kind of about the audition process a year ago. I think it's about in my first season, I talked to three um, friends of mine who were actors out in LA and okay. they kind of hinted upon, hinted that during the audience interview audition process, they would right. usually see the same individuals that were in the room mm -hmm. and uh, you know, they dap each other up and, you know, and, you know, of course they were competing, but would still, had this camaraderie. So I wonder if, is it the same kind of uh, environment in New York? Well, um, yes, but my exposure to it has changed significantly because of COVID, right? So okay. before COVID, 
um, a lot of the times you would go into a studio, you would go to an office and folks would you know, be waiting outside of a room to go on an audition. Nowadays, a lot of auditions are done via self-tapes. So you basically you know, use your camera, use your phone to record your own audition. And then you find a reader, if there's somebody else in the scene, you record it and then you upload it to your agent, your manager, or your casting or the casting director, and they make a decision from there, right? Oh, Before okay. that, when I did go to auditions, I would see people who I've seen on different sets. And we would, like you say, you know, quickly dap each other up and and then you'd focus, okay, you know, let me let me make sure I'm 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 getting myopic and getting ready for this audition and not a whole lot of you know conversation that would take me out of my space. But yeah, that that would have happened um prior to COVID. Now Self-tape auditions are not going away. Uh, some in-person auditions have come back. Uh, I think I, I may have had one uh, post-COVID. Most of the times you, you're uploading your own, own audition. And sometimes if you get a call back, which is a second audition, sometimes that's via Zoom or the okay. kind of form we're on, we're on now. Or you might go in for an in-person audition, but they've gone down significantly because of, uh, because of COVID. That's interesting. So do you do you prefer the self self um auditions? And is it in that is that challenging to do because a lot mm-hmm. of acting is, you know, it's you feed on the energy of the other person or at least mm-hmm. the people in the room to kind of use right. those inflections and so being that it's self done, you have to kind of create that I guess on your your own. Well, you're right. I mean, and, and it requires um, another skill set that shows no signs of going away. So you do have a reader. For example, what I'll do is I'll have my phone set up just like I have it set up now, and I'll have somebody on Zoom who's reading the other line. Oh, the other part. Okay. Thing, right. So I am responding to somebody, right? But I'm just recording my response. I'm recording both voices, but you only see me on camera. So it does require a different skill set, but it's still. It's still acting. It's still interacting with another individual. It's still, you know, doing a scene. Um, I, I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some people that, you know, will try to buck the system and fight the system and want them to go away because of the efficiency uh, for both the actor, you know, and the casting directors. There's no sign of self tapes going away. So I, I use my background here, sans the picture um, as my as my uh, as my backdrop, and I, and I get to work. And I, okay. I do the scene. I do the scene, and I've been blessed to book some things based on, based on self tapes. So it's it's a, it's a process that works. Great, great. Well, I want to show one of the uh, one of your, your work. Yeah, <laughs> I pull, I am pulled it up and see. You know, give your thoughts to how you were back then. Oh, okay. okay. I wonder what you're gonna do. It's a surprise. <laughs> it's a okay. Surprise. Wow. <laughs> oh boy. I was seriously injured in a car accident right here at this very intersection. I had medical bills I couldn't pay and I wasn't getting anywhere with the insurance companies. One call was all I needed to make. That was my third commercial, Keith. Okay. I had filmed a commercial in September 2007, another one around December 2007, and I actually had to audition for that one, right? Okay. So um, I auditioned for it. I was blessed to book it. We filmed it at some house in Newark, New Jersey that was used in some scenes in, in, in The Soprano, I was told. But that commercial was pivotal in boosting my confidence because one, I had to audition to get it and I was able to book it. That commercial was a non-union regional commercial that ran for years. So I think it started airing sometime in the spring of 2008. 
And as recently as 2014, 2015, folks were telling me they saw this commercial. So that's what gave me the belief that, you know what, eventually filming bigger commercials um, that could pay me residuals because as a non-union commercial, they just pay you one time and they run that thing in the ground in, per in perpetuity, right? Mm. So, but because that commercial had such a long tail, it humbly led me to believe that there must be something about that spot that they like to keep running it for so long. And that eventually um, I could be in a position where I could audition for bigger commercials, bigger union commercials, now that I'm a member, a member of SAG-AFTRA, um, right. that would, they would have a, a larger scope that would run um, beyond a region and would also pay me residuals. And I'm blessed to be in that position now. So yeah, I'm, I'm, glad, you, I'm glad you yeah. picked that one because yeah. that was, a, yeah, that was a pivotal commercial. Because I, what I noticed, and and I, and I don't know if this was interesting, that a lot of the commercials that I saw you were had to deal with insurance. Yeah, so I thought, that was yeah. So I was like, oh, it was, it's almost like a full circle moment. You worked in insurance, yeah, and then you had several insurance commercials. Yeah, that was, and and and, and I tell you, when I got that, when I got the audition for that, the familiarity of knowing, um, uh, having worked in claims before I got to underwriting. The familiarity of knowing the mindset of someone who needs to call an attorney um, to mm. get what they believe they deserve from an insurance company was something that I could I could I could identify with. Okay. And I think that I was able to leverage that. Excuse me to bring a sense of realness, you know, to to that spot. So that was that was an important moment in my career because again, it 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 led me to believe that that bigger things were possible once I got to the other side. Okay. And so I know you mentioned a lot of auditions of doing black background work. Yes. But then you've been trying to, you know, move on to more principal roles. Right. And, um, and so has, is the audition process different in that aspect? What kind of adjustments or skills did you feel you needed to add in order to feel confident uh, taking on those projects? Well, great question. Um, when you do background work, and I'm, I'm not one to poo-poo background work at all. I've been blessed with the background work that I've done because it taught me set etiquette. It taught me to pay attention to what's going on within a scene. Um, you know, background actors are actors. Uh, I was blessed to work on uh, When They See Us that Ava DuVernay uh, directed oh, uh -huh. some yeah. years ago. And she said to us, we had to, we had to act in a very emotional court scene. She said to us, she said, Background actors, you guys are actors. This is what we need. So there's some people who don't respect or look at background actors as acting per se. There is a different skill set that's required. You don't have to audition to do background work. You don't have to audition to become an extra. It's valuable work, but you don't have to audition. You may have to have mm. a certain look, a certain height, certain right, demographics, right. but you don't have to audition. So when you start auditioning for principal roles where people have people have lines, it requires a different skill set. You know, you have to be able to demonstrate that you're able to that you're able to act that you're able to adopt the um, personality and behaviors of that character in a way that's authentic and the way that you interact with other people in the scene is authentic as well so being able to act and being able to audition those two skills are sometimes uh mutually exclusive those things are very important and and in, uh, in securing uh, principal roles mm. awesome awesome yeah. Yeah. um so yeah, the th couple more questions. So of course your kids and your family have seen you, they saw you as one way corporate. 
corporate yeah. man, and then they've seen your journey of actually doing this. So what right. have they, any words that they've given you or what um, did they say that you, that made you feel proud that you had taken this journey? My daughter, Sydney, my younger daughter, Sydney, uh, just graduated from Hampton uh, on Mother's Day and she's a journalist. And we've had conversations about humbly her seeing me pursue this passion uh, of being a performer and how that has fueled her desire and given her the confidence to pursue what she wanted to do as well. Maybe it's had some impact on my older daughter, you know, Adrian, who's a lawyer and she's got three degrees. Um, and, and I'm hoping that it's had some impact on my son, who's in his third year at East Carolina University and ultimately my granddaughter as well. But I know that my daughter, Sydney, and I have had conversations about her observing this journey. I mean, when I did my first play back in 2012, you know, she was 13. Um, you know, Jordan was, uh, was, 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 was 10. And they would come to my rehearsals with me. Mm. On the weekends when I had them and I, you know, I didn't want to, you know, not spend time with them, they would come to rehearsals with me and they would, you know, play games, whatever. We'd go to lunch, come back and do another rehearsal. So they were troopers and they've seen a number of the, the plays that I was in. So um, I think, I, I believe that them observing me along this journey has also, you know, given them the confidence that they can, that they can pursue what it is they want to do uh, unapologetically. Um, by faith, that's been a huge. That's been a huge part of the journey. Faith, faith, right? Absolutely. You know, faith is very important. You know, especially going back to the clip, you have because you have to protect the dream, dreams. You know, there are going yeah. to be people that are not going to be aligned with your dream and your vision, and 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 if they are not, also if they are negative people, they are going to try to put their push their negativity onto you. So absolutely. And the fact so you do, that, have, you do have to guard it. I remember very quickly that that commercial that you showed um, that one in hundred J Law. I remember sharing that with um, um, a friend of mine, and he told me that he shared it with other people, and and they were clowning me. And I'm mm. like, one, why would you share that if you're a friend of mine? Right. And two, was there to clown? Because those same people or that same individual, when I post up today, whether it's on LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever, is applauding, you know, and celebrating. But you couldn't celebrate that part of the journey because that begot the thing that you're celebrating. The thing that you're celebrating now. Mm. So it's very important, man. Um, and the overseer at my at my previous church, Greatest Shallow in Eastern Pennsylvania, used to talk about this as well. You can't share your aspirations. You can't share your dream with everybody. I mean, I was a 53-year-old black man who was moving from Lehigh Valley back to Harlem primarily to pursue acting on a higher level when I moved back four plus years ago, Keith. And very few people knew that. And I wasn't about to share that with a lot of people so that they could poo-poo my dreams or are you crazy right right it was faith so and it was some sometimes it's family um close friends or folks you've known a long time right right and i just um i just pursued head down 
this is what I'm going to do. You're on board, whether you're on board or not, this is where I'm going. So, you know, just, just having that faith, having that diligence, um, having that determination, you know, because sometimes, sometimes there's a residual effect on other people who were once naysayers. Right. You know, sometimes right. it'll inspire them to say, you know what, if so-and-so did it, you know, maybe I, maybe I can give this a try, you know? Maybe right. I can try too, but you do have to protect it because um, not everyone, not everyone understands, not everyone, you know, supports. And it's not always about folks just plain hating. Sometimes folks just don't get it. Sometimes folks just don't see the vision, you know? Um, and, you know, you can have sight and not have vision. So, mm -hmm. you know, just, right. just because you have a, just because another person doesn't have your vision doesn't mean that um, you should abandon it. You, you got to go. Right. Sometimes you got to jump off the cliff and build your wings on the way down. And I think, yeah, a lot of our, our boys, um, they abandon it too, too soon because, right. you know, imagine if just like you, if that, if that friend meant a lot to you, you, right. you could have folded it up and said, well, you know, you know, if they're right. clowning me, then I must be a clown. So therefore right. I, I'm going to be hard and do, you know, what is respected in our, in our communities and things of that nature. So, yeah. Um, but, but on the flip side, was there maybe a person, a couple that really, you know, mentored you and inspired you to, to keep going? Well, that first agent uh, that I mentioned early in our conversation, Randy Donatelli, he was, he was one that said to me, never give up. He said, things change on a dime in this business, stay in contact with me. You know, mm -hmm. so I took that to heart, man. I mean, we, we, this was 17 years ago when he said that to me, he became my first agent. He was in Reading, Pennsylvania. And again, he's, he since passed away, but those words, those words meant something. Mm -hmm. um, and they still do today. Um, when I started doing theater in 2012, uh, I worked with Touchstone Theater in, uh, in Bethlehem. And the lovely, lovely Emma Ackerman, if she's listening, formerly Emma Chong, she told me after my first, that was my first play, she mm -hmm. told me after that performance, we had five, a five show run. And she said to me, you have talent. And what that meant to me, man, I had a chance to thank her when I went to a celebration of life for a director that I'd done a couple of plays with. And okay. I told her last year through tears, man, right. what that meant for her to say to me that you have talent. That still drives, she said that to me in 2012 after my mm, first play. Right. And that still buoys me, that still drives me today. The people that I work with, you know, W.T. George and host J.P. and all those folks, you know, Christopher Shore, who directed the play, the late George Miller, who was a director, um, Ara Barley, another director I work with, you know, a bunch of actors I work with down in Pennsylvania. Um, were encouraging about what they saw God had gifted me to do uh, on the stage or in commercials. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those things fueled me. But, um, you know, that experience with that company, man, where they told me um, 50 miles from my home that, you know, we'll see if anybody, we'll see if anybody's going that way to get you home. That, that, that lit a fire in me that still burns 21 years later, man. That's, that was the fuel. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not going to be done that way. I'm from the projects, man. Don't let the veneer. <laughs> I hear you. I'm from the projects. I hear you. So I hear that. you know, don't don't get this twisted. Well, you you have a you have a chance to inspire some people 
that may be listening or will listen. Sure. If someone has a, you know, they may say, oh, I have a dream, mm-hmm. but I, I just don't know when I can uh, move forward with it. What would be three words of advice uh, you would give them right now? Um, three words of advice. Um, faith, determination, diligence. And the other would be a three word phrase. It's like, do it now. Mm-hmm. You know, do something daily, regardless of how small you think it is, that closes the gap between where you are and where you'd like to be. You know, read some articles. If we're talking about acting, read some articles about how to get started with acting. Read another article, excuse me, about um, the different roles that people play, the agents, casting directors, managers. Find out where you can get training. Find out where the the opportunities are. Um, But do something. By, by faith and, and don't wait for anybody. Don't wait, don't surrender your power to make a decision to anybody. Mm. Re- reserve that for yourself. It's, it's fine to be influenced and encouraged by others, but don't wholly surrender your power to take a step forward to anybody. You know, one of my favorite affirmations is talks about sometimes you have to jump and build wings on the way down. You know, everything's not going to be perfectly set up. Everything's not going to be laid out to order. A lot of things are going to just, um, you know, come as you go along, man. I mean, I try to share. I know we get into the end of time, Keith, but I try to share as comprehensive and as holistic a picture as possible about what my acting journey has been like. So I tell people, look, I used to travel from Pennsylvania to get a to meet to meet a 6 a.m. call time in New York, which means I was leaving my apartment in Bethlehem at 315 to get ahead of Holland Tunnel, Lincoln Tunnel traffic so mm. I could get to Brooklyn on time. Right. That's part of the journey. You know, I remember sleeping in Port Authority as opposed to going up to my sister's and sleeping on her floor and then coming back to Port Authority to get a bus back to Pennsylvania. So I can get, so I can hit, so I can get to my substitute teaching job that day. Mm. Um, Jay Z said this in a video that I saw on Instagram or uh, Facebook within the past few months. He said, "People are trained to emulate the end result, not the process." So you know, there's a process, man, and right. um, don't be afraid of the process. You know, of paying your dues. You know, whatever label whatever however you want to define that there is a uh, there is a process um and what folks see today whether it's commercials that i have on the air now that have been running for a while or you know i booked another co-star role in a tv show on comedy central those things are all the manifestation of many many years and hours of work and of sacrifice you know, so understand that your ambition is going to cost you something, irrespective of what it is you're pursuing. If you're pursuing acting or becoming a doctor or an engineer, my, my older daughter, Adrian, can certainly speak to the sacrifices of going to law school full time, working full time, being a mother, you know, having a household to manage. It costs something, you know. Yeah. Solomon, Burke, Solomon Burke, a great soul singer from the 60s, recorded the song about the price. You know, this is the price I paid. You know? Yeah, yeah. So don't be afraid to, to pay the price and trust that there is a reward, 
you know, through, uh, you know, throughout the journey. Yeah, that's, that, that's very awesome, especially in today. We always see the end result, don't really see the price. And so, you know, we have to, and though you've dropped some gems today to um, let people know, it's like, look, it's a process. Right. And, um, but if you, you stay faithful and determined and diligent and, yeah. and study as well, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to study and, right. and, uh, and the, in the little things, it, you know, yeah. it will it will lead to to better little thing. The little things will lead to better things. So, yeah, um, th- that's fantastic. Um, so, before I answer my my final question, yeah, um, what have you been doing recently, and and what's what's uh, around the corner for you? Well, I just um, last month I was blessed to film a co star role on a show, a very popular show on Comedy Central called. Aquafina is Nora from Queens. Oh yeah, love so that show. they're entering season three. Um, I, I thought season three was going to start sometime this month, uh, according to an article that I read. But I guess that wasn't accurate. So we're waiting for season three to start. I have a role that's supposed to be in the third episode of season three. I still get calls for SNL, so I'm blessed to have a good rapport with the uh, background casting manager. So I'm confident that I'll have more opportunities to work on SNL. I'm still auditioning. Um, not only for principal roles on uh, TV and commercials, but also student films and print model opportunities as well. And I'm studying. I'm studying with the uh, the BGB studios out of uh, out of California. We have a Zoom class that I attend every Thursday. And I'm also studying with my buddy James Sacconi, who uh, runs a program called Show Up to Book the Role, uh, Actors Axiom. So I'm going to jump back into his class. Um, soon as well. Outside of that, you know, I serve as a substitute teacher for the New York City Department of Education. That's my day job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives me the flexibility of uh, of, uh, of being able to take time off when I do have bookings, auditions, and the like. And it provides some earnings as well. So I'm continuing to study, continuing to audition, continuing to uh, believe, and and stay on what has been a uh, a very worthwhile journey, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I know that a lot of times and usually we focus on the things that we're doing and Mm -hmm. that's always champion, but we don't always um, focus on how we're doing. So I always like to end this question with all, all in the show with this question is how are you feeling? How are you feeling as a a black man right now in the world? Um, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling um, I'm feeling confident. I'm also concerned, man. Mm. Um, I'm concerned about the plight of our youth. Um, you know, you see it in the headlines every day. I see some things in schools that really shake me to my core, man. Uh, there, mm. there are instances I've seen where the absence of respect for authority is frightening. Um, so. Those things concern me. Um, you know, shootings. Um, you know, seeing videos of uh, of a bunch of youths, you know, trying to rob somebody or or stab somebody or shoot somebody. You know, those things. Those things concern me, and I- I'm hoping that collectively we can play a significant role in, in in reaching out to them to encourage them to make better decisions and, and to help them to understand that they're all alternatives to, to that kind of behavior. Um, mm. 
so you know i'm feeling i'm feeling good i feel healthy uh mentally spiritually physically socially um single i've been divorced now for 17 plus years i don't know if i'll get married again quite honestly i do respect <laughs> the institution i don't know yeah, yeah. i don't know if it's something that i'll do but i, I feel good about my children man and, and what it right. is the adults young adults now and my granddaughter what they're doing family um where i am in life so things are things are good man things are good i'm, ha I'm happy um I'm, I'm content i'm fulfilled you know that's great that's great well i, d I did want to end on the note that note that I'm extremely proud of what you've done and, and, and not just the commercials per se and, you know, SNL, but the fact that you, I mean, we didn't get to socialize as much at all state, but right. the fact that you were able to, you know, and I knew you're always a great with words and, you know, right. we hear some of the words and thing and songs and we would talk about that. We love a Sam cook and the fact that you've been able to, um, follow your passion and follow something that you because we don't often enough don't get to do that and the fact that you have been able to do that um despite any obstacles that have come in your way i really admire that and appreciate that so thank you you know for coming on today well thank you man and if i can offer just one last thing lucille ball was quoted as saying that she would rather regret the things that she did versus the things she didn't do mm. um, when god when god nudged me around March of 2018 to think about moving back to New York. The last thing that I wanted was to sit there wondering what could have been, what if I had, you know, I, I'd rather, I would rather have come here and fallen flat on my face than to be sitting in Allentown, Pennsylvania right now, wondering what if. So well, that's a great, yeah. And that's a great way to end for everyone. Regret the things that you do, not the things that you don't do. Right. Thank you, Roy, for really leaving us with some important things to think about when it comes to having, keeping, and following your dreams. Especially that quote from Lucille Ball. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can find previous episodes to Black Men Speak wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to share and subscribe. As you know, we like to end the show with a quote, and this one comes from Sean Combs, and it reads like this. Nobody's going to take you to the front of the line unless you push your way to the front of the line. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak Podcast. Peace.